Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? How's it going? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. Welcome to the show. Hope you're doing well. Hope I hope you're doing well globally. I hope all my friends around the world are doing well. Everyone who's listening to this in all these different countries. I just got back from Australia this morning, and I'm out of my fucking mind. I was only there long enough just almost to adjust to the difference in time, which is like, like 15, 16 hours ahead of where I am now. So I flew back in time this morning uh, and I'm, I'm fucking out of my mind. But I got to be honest with you, given all my panic and fear and everything else, I, I, and I mean this, I had some of the best shows of my life in Australia this last trip. I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it had something to do with the jet lag. I don't know if you know how I work. But uh, I flew out there, I, and I talked to you right when I got there. But later that day, I went and did television. I slept for like three hours. And then that night, that Wednesday night in Melbourne, I got to do the Project Live, which is a panel show. So I get there. I'm like, I'm fragmented on sleep. I ate a, a Cadbury Dairy Milk Bar, amazing British chocolate, I believe it is. I had a bunch of coffee. All the coffee there is espresso-based. There's no just regular uh, drip coffee. So I jammed myself up with sugar and caffeine, and I went on TV in Melbourne, Australia. Killed it. And I don't say that about myself much, but it was good. So I went back, crashed out, and then the next morning we flew to Sydney after I did another TV show in Australia, a morning program with two anchors, man and woman. That went pretty good. Got on a plane for Sydney, got there, and they had all this candy in the fucking mini bar. So I just went to sleep for three hours, ate a giant piece of chocolate with marshmallows and then some other chocolate, then drank a bunch of coffee, and I headed over to the State Theater in Sydney, nervous because, as you know, I got a little anxious about the trip because i didn't know if we were selling tickets and there was some panic apparently everyone who likes me in australia bought their tickets immediately months ago and then very few people bought them after that but the fact of the matter is i got there got this michael hing guy opening for me did a great job the state theater is an amazing theater is one of the most beautiful theaters i've ever seen really in sydney and uh holy shit there's about 1100 people there which is fine even if the place seats more, it was fine, and they were into it. And I, I don't know if it was jet lag or what, but I, I rambled through 
I, I, you know, I should give myself myself more credit. I professionally rambled through about two hours and change. Did a little Q and A in the middle for no fucking reason. Just feeling it out, feeling the jet lag. The thing about jet lag is you feel it's a combination of feelings. You feel hungover, but then you you know when you feel that, and I I know I don't drink. It's like being hungover with having nothing fun to regret. It, it, it's just the travel and you're fucked up and you're kind of queasy and your brain's not quite fucking working. But I did like two hours and 10 minutes and it was it was fun. And the audience was great. It was a great show. It was one of the better shows I've ever done. Next day, we fly back to Melbourne. I go to sleep again, eat some more chocolate, drink some more coffee. And then I go to the Palais Theater right by the water. It's this damp, kind of smelly old theater. It's pretty stunning, though, but it's it's dark. It's got the haunted vibe. It's sort of like, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that went on here. And uh, I don't know what you got, but yeah, we're I'm a little exhausted as a structure. And uh, yeah, that's I'd say that's how I felt that theater was. You you turn the lights on in that theater and it goes like, oh, what? What's happening now? Again, what is it this time? Is it music or some needy guy? My opener, Ann Edmonds, did great. And I got out there and I was kind of, I, I project onto it. This old haunted structure with about 1,200 people in it, plenty of room. I began to look at it as sort of an experimental art piece exploring the empty space of theater. But it didn't matter that they were both those theaters were so hot and the crowds were so good. I did, and the Stones played there in 65. And I did another two-hour show, but this one was pretty fucking tight. And it was really one of the best shows I ever did in my life. It was very exciting. Then the next day, fly to Brisbane, which I was nervous about because this was a show I almost canceled because the tickets weren't selling. I sold about 350, 375. And then they found a room in the same structure. It's in the actual city hall of Brisbane. So after doing these two huge theaters and really just putting on big shows for me, all of a sudden I was in this intimate space and I was just stripped bare. The jet lag had ripped me open and the shows had ripped me open. And I was, I was almost too fragile in some ways to do the show, but it made the show even more exciting, more interesting. And uh, Mel Buttle, who opened for me, was hilarious. And we're just in this conference room in City Hall. It was all good. And I have to tell you, Australia, I apologize. I have to tell the people that are listening. I had no time to do fucking anything, uh, sightsee or nothing. Just eat uh, food eat chocolate, drink coffee, sleep erratically, and do shows. Three days I was in fucking Australia. It's a hell of a trip for three days, but it was great. I want to thank the people of Australia and thank everybody for uh, for the amazing momentum we moved towards Australia with. I wish I'd stayed longer because the other thing about jet lag is now it just seems like a fucking dream. I don't even know if I was there. You just feel like you're moving through waking consciousness, a dream that you have just a a little bit of control over, but your brain is still firing like you're asleep. So everything just sort of fades quickly. And it's very weird in Australia. There's, there's a lot of people, a lot of different kinds of people, but there's also, there seems to be this large tribe of spiky haired alpha males who seem preoccupied with various types of football playing. Maybe I'm projecting, but they all look kind of similar. Uh, they all look like they, they're on a mostly protein diet and would probably smile while they hit your face. But I, maybe I'm projecting. Thank you, Australia, is what I'm trying to say. Now, look, today on the show, I've got uh, the, uh, the I, a guy I really like a lot. I love his music. Michael Cronin will be here. He'll play a song. And then my buddy Patrick Stickles from Titus Andronicus just happened to be down the street. And I snagged him. So that's going to happen in a minute. 
here can we can we let's let's start doing this we're, we're, we're heading into the Lauren Michaels episode. It's in the future a bit, but we're heading into it. And we're going back through the history of the show to uh, to sort of hear from guests that, that know Lauren and to get a real sense of how Lauren has loomed over so much of what we do as comedians and it looms large in my mind. I don't know how much he had to do with what I do, but it's certainly been an obsession of mine. So we've been sort of kind of going through the back episodes to, to, to get these Lorne stories. And there's a lot of them. There's like three or four special episodes of just Lorne stories if we really wanted to do it. But as we head into my experience, my new experience with Lorne Michaels, I want to play this clip. This is from 2011. This is from episode 164. It was a live show from Brooklyn at the Bell House that included Bill Hader and Fred Armisen. How often do you have to deal with Lorne? Um, like one every, every, all every day, all the time. He's the awesome. Time. Yeah, he's, he really he's is hands great. On. He's very hands on, and he's very. Can I share with you how paranoid peanuts. I am? Yeah. I, you know, I had one meeting with him. When? Like ninety-five or something, and it didn't go well. And like, I think he brought me in was when Luna was starting downtown, and like the first thing he said to me was like, "I don't know what you think you're doing down there below Fourteenth Street, but it doesn't matter." <laughs> It didn't matter, did it? No, it didn't matter at all. <laughs> and, but, but this is how fucking nuts I am and how self-important I am. It's like the Wall Street Journal wrote up this show and, and I, told, I told the interviewer who was asking me about you know, Luna and, and, and that you guys were coming on and then I told him about the SNL story and I told him that story because uh, he was asking me about alternative comedy and I, I called him back and I said, look... Could you pull the learn thing out? Because I don't want him to see it yeah. and then say, and then keep Fred and Bill late. Like I thought yeah. Lauren Michaels was going to see that story and say, you guys aren't going. <laughs> You're not going to the fabled WTM. <laughs> wow. That's, that's crazy. A that's a good move, though. That is, I mean, that is a good move. I, is it the right thing? He did do the right thing. No, yeah. I mean, there's certain things like he'll laugh really hard at like anytime like Will Forte would get angry in a sketch yeah, Lauren, Lauren would start would always laughing laugh. really yeah, hard yeah. and Will's face would get red and be like what the fuck is yeah like he would just like that Chris, was like Kristen Lauren's too. sweet spot Lauren would just yeah. start laughing he would see it on the horizon yeah yeah <laughs> but does laughing. that make everybody feel good like does, does Will come back and go I fucking made the king laugh <laughs> yeah yeah or you do hear that sometimes you go back to the office and be like Lauren was laughing right? yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's a point. Like that's it. a point after read through. It's or like, you, Lauren, or you're doing that. something, you look up and he's not laughing, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> has, he, has he ever given you any weird notes, like the, that just made you go, oh okay? Sometimes you have to like think, like what what does he mean by that? Uh huh. It's, it's that kind of thing, but they're always constructive. He'll, he'll do weird psych out thing, not weird psych, but he'll. I think he's being honest, but it becomes a psych. Like the very first um, Vincent Price we did, I came up and he was like. There's a band's playing. I'm dressed as Vincent Price. I'm sitting there. I'm like really nervous. I'm kind of, it's like my fifth show or something. And he came up to me. He's like, I like this, but why now? <laughs> was this, was this? <laughs> and I was like, why did you just say I'm about to go live? And he's like, no, no, it's good. I like it. I mean. <laughs> yeah, man. See, Lauren has had the zap on my head for a long time. And, uh, and you're going to hear where we stand, him and I now. And what, what, gets, uh, what gets hashed out 
uh, soon, my friends. All right, let's talk Stickles. Patrick Stickles. Patrick Stickles is the uh, front man of Titus Andronicus. You uh, you might have heard him here on episode 462. It was one of my uh, one of my favorites. The guy's mind is on fire. He's got a brain on fire all the time. I like guys like that. And uh, here's what happened. He's got this 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 amazing new double triple record out. It comes with three vinyl discs, full 12 inch vinyl. One of them, you got to play at 45. Keeps you on your toes. But it's a rock opera. And we had talked about him doing this rock opera when he was on a couple years ago. And I just liked his records. I, I don't even know where I got his records, The Monitor and Local Business. And I and I just felt that he meant it, man. He's an, He means it. He's, he's, you know, he's got to play rock and roll to live mentally and physically. If it doesn't get out of him, we're all in trouble. So I really, I mean, I liked his drive. And I was I was excited to have him on the show. So here's what happens. He gave me the test pressings of this vinyl when I did my show at BAM in Brooklyn. He came backstage. He was going to come to the show, but but he got there an hour and a half, two hours late. But he brought me these test pressings and he gave them to me as a gift, which was great. But I got the vinyl. I got the CD of The Most Lamentable Tragedy. That's the name of the, uh, the rock opera from Titus Andronicus. Uh, it's her first album on Merge Records. You can get it at mergerecords.com slash shop and use the promo code WTF at checkout to get 20% off all music and merch. Also, you can hear my full episode with Patrick. And as I told you before, it was episode 462, and you can get that on Hal Premium. So Patrick Stickles is in town, tells me he's coming to town. He's playing at the Roxy. I can't make it. That day, though, I'm driving down New York Boulevard in my neighborhood, and out in front of Permanent Records, I see a bearded Stickles just hanging out talking to people. I'm like, what the fuck? I knew he was in town. I didn't know he was doing an in-store at Permanent, but they'd just done it, and I pulled over, and I see him. He's just on fire. The dude is just like mentally on fire and uh, full of the spirit of rock and roll and trying to crunch the uh, the big existential numbers in his head at all times. So I said, hey, man, why don't you come over tomorrow and hang out on the mic for a bit? And he's like, yeah. So this is a, a, a sort of impromptu conversation with Patrick Stickles from Titus Andronicus. And he also just informed me that his, um, his new music video is going to, uh, to be uh, premiering, I believe, today at titusandronicus.net, all right? Okay? I'm telling you that now, and now you're going to hear me talk to Stickles. Where the fuck is that ashtray? I I hate to have this ashtray. Hold on. That's Uh, it. I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to What the Fuck with me, your host, Patrick Stickles. Coming to you from the garage that you all have imagined so many times. I just want to let you know that it is real. It's a real place. Uh, So what's going on? Let's just work some shit out. Let me tell you, driving around this neighborhood with a big trailer is tough. Can I tell you folks? I sure scared myself a few times. Trying to park that thing on those hills. All right, my guest today is Mark Marin. Hold on. You might know him from Dr. Katz, professional therapist, and uh, he's. I did it. Patrick Stickles. Hello, hello. Here in the garage again. What a, what an honor to be back here. Thank I'm, you. Well, you're welcome. I'm sorry that I missed the fucking show. 
That's all right. That was vengeance for me missing your show at the Brooklyn. But you did show up uh, very excited and uh, yeah, late. And you gave me the uh, what was that? The test pressing. That's right. Of the uh, of the masterpiece, of the masterwork. If you want to call it that. Yeah, I mean, look at this thing, man. The most lamentable tragedy: a three album rock opera. Yes, although to to be fair to your listeners, one of those LPs is a 12-inch 45. I know, and it it forces you to listen in order. I noticed that today. That's right, well, and not in the order that (laughs) people would think. It's it's trying to make a more active listening experience rather than the whole put it it on, make dinner kind of. Sure, does more active mean like, oh, fuck, wait, so this isn't the... All right, well, okay, so I guess I put this one on. Well, the... um, (laughs) It is, it's trying to keep people on their toes, basically. You know, you listen to the first LP, is just yeah. two sides at 33 and a third. That's yeah. very normal. And then right. when you go to reach for the first side of the next disc, if you don't adjust the speeds, the track will be playing a lot slower. And this is one of the ways that we indicate that we've entered into a dream sequence because it's like an altered reality. Is that 45 supposed to be an altered reality? That is, that's a dream sequence, yes. And that's the, the one with the, uh, you know, my father's brother song? That's right. That's, uh, that's the, the ancestor of the main character, like his great-great-grandfather or something, uh-huh. who is the original person in his family to emigrate to America. From from the old country, which old country? Any? It's Ireland. Yeah, but it could be any, mostly any country, any country where you know dreams have been dashed and where you know sure. a happy future seems impossible. It seems to me after I, I talked to you last that uh, you working through a lot of your own shit in this record. Yes, I mean yes, that's true. The journey through uh, through medication, through the meltdown, through uh, you know owning your your brain, owning yourself. Uh, and for for better for worse, That's warning right. warning people of the possibilities of personality trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And when I told when I told you all these things the first time, I didn't realize that you yeah. discuss these same things often sure. in your own work. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty ignorant coming into the whole thing, aside from the <laughs> Doctor Katz episodes, which I enjoyed very much. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, we talk about that shit a lot. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember. Because the last time I talked to you, you were kind of fresh out of the the fucking uh, whirlpool. Yeah, fresh out of the the. Well, I thought so. Yeah, I thought I was out of the whirlpool. I thought I was on a, a, the other side of something. With you were like, no medicine out. guy. I'm just going to smoke some weed. Yeah, well, I was on. I was back in a doctor's care about a month later. So <laughs> to be to be fair, uh, it is. And what happened? Uh, well, you know, I guess you could say that uh, that my well. Yeah, my des- some of those decisions were possibly a little bit selfish, you know, and maybe a lot of them came from a genuine place of uh, whatever <laughs> yeah. concern or self-preservation or you know a desire sure. to not to, to not extinguish be my right. artist artistic yeah. tendencies, right? Or whatever, and f- to feel life, yeah. Uh, but this is one of the morals of that rock opera we just talked about. You know, those yeah. are all valid things, but ultimately. That's your business, and you're still accountable for the decisions that you make and how they affect other people. Them. Yes, exactly. Right. You know, it's not it, even though I'm fighting my own personal little war against myself. Yeah, you know, I must, there shouldn't be so many casualties in that <laughs> oh, struggle. No. You know, oh, inevitably, no. there are. Oh boy, did you lose some people? Uh, not even really. Oh really? I'm, I'm, I'm a very lucky guy. You pulled but I back. Know, I know that I, you know. 
hey yeah everybody everybody out there has heard this this tale before that's tuning into this program you know and to be just but i don't know you know around but the thing is angry angry man style you know but i've heard that you may have heard the tale before but like the thing that's great about the record and about how you deal with it is that this is the struggle is definitely on this record and in the in the songs themselves you read the lyrics because it's a fucking if you get the vinyl it's a beautiful uh a beautiful bit of business. It's quadruple gatefold designed by the great artist Nolan Strauss yeah, of Baltimore, Maryland. It's great. Former singer of the great band Double Dagger. You ever oh, heard yeah. that? No, no, good. One of the greatest of all time, and he plays in a really good, awesome band now called Pure Junk. Yeah. Nolan Strauss. I tip my hat to him And he did a, a beautiful layout, did uh, uh, some beautiful art, and all the lyrics are here. Although like, I did the lettering for the lyrics, not to brag. And also you did the lettering for your famous uh, logo, I guess, too. Huh? No? that Not you? No, no, no. And I didn't design that logo either. That was our former keyboardist, David Robbins. What happened to that guy? Was he a, a, a one of the fallen? Burn, burned him burned him out, <laughs> basically. <laughs> you know, yeah. He was, you know, he was like... He was a wonderful guy. He was like a, a, a beautiful soul. You yeah. Know? So in a lot of ways. Too sensitive for the stickles. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't know <laughs> if it was. I mean, I was. I I contributed to it. But it's it's the life. You know, I don't necessarily make the life easier on people, but uh, I'd like to. I don't know, but, man. I think that if it, like the the record's doing well, the response is good, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think that a lot of people identify with uh, with the struggle. And with the you know with the drugs with the you know wanting to be yourself with the uh, you know not wanting to be on drugs with the thinking that you can manage your own shit and then sort of drifting into fantasy and, and kind of uh, coming through it a bit on the other side you seem okay today yeah well uh, it, it, I'm in a, I'm in a much better place than when we first met medicine no medicine sure. yes medicine I take a hundred milligrams of lamictal a day and then I've got the the clonopin as needed. Yeah. But you, as needed is a very start. elastic term, right? <laughs> That's a slippery slope well, with take, the clonopin. Take it, take it when you're anxious. Well, all, all right. right. So 9 a.m., let's go. I'm plenty <laughs> fucking anxious, you know? But like... That's I like you the, got the wiggle room on the clonopin. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, uh, I shouldn't, though, is the thing. Well, I know, that's but uh, well, Mikto, what is it? That, uh, that's for the that's bipolar. An, that's an anti-convulsant, yeah. Right, so... I so spent a lot of my life convulsing, so I still I still do my fair share. You do a lot of it on stage, though, thank God. I, I try to keep it up there as much as I can. Well, so the Mikto's not going to bring the poles together. It's just going to try to level the highs, so when they get too out of control, you knock it down with the clonopin. I suppose so. I, I mean, know. I guess yeah. That that would be the plan, right? I suppose because the but, choice uh, other than that is 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 lithium, which will suck the balls right out of you. Right, right, right. You know Richard Thompson's work, the guitar player. Uh, I've 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 heard of him, you know, well, but I haven't done all so, my homework yet. Well, it's all right. It's, he's a good guitar player, but I ran into him in Ireland, and I had interviewed him, and I was backstage talking to him, and I told him that I smoked a cigarette with Keith Richards, and and I said. Uh, I said, you know, Keith is a bad influence on me. And Richard Thompson says, he was a bad influence on everyone. <laughs> I, That's I, the rock and roll hero, yeah, though. I wonder if if the choices that I would have made had I not Done. studied his life as much as I have the past few years. Who, Keith? Keith, yeah. Oh, really? He, he, I mean, Keith Richards, like, if he had done the things that he had done and not the rock and roll genius part right like what what you know you know what but, i'm saying like that care? like he like keith richards or like neil young or somebody can make lots of s- sorts of decisions yeah and come out on the other side looking like 
they were right. Right. But then again, they also, you know, wrote Jumpin' Jack Flash. Yeah. Or whatnot. Down by and the like, river. Yeah. And yeah. They, so they can they can mostly back up. Like, history's going to forgive a lot of the things that they did. And maybe, yeah, that's right. And it may just feed their myth, you know? Even what, if it was kind of gnarly. What's his famous thing? I never had a drug problem. Though. It was the cops that had a problem with my drugs <laughs> right. or something, right? Well, now he says that the entire drug experience was experimentation. But he's pretty honest about it. He knows he's lucky to be alive and he saw a lot of people die. And I think right now, old Keith is just trying to make people realize that whatever they think he is, that's about a 30-year-old story. Hmm, you know, the yeah. truth of the matter is, you know, he's a 70-year-old dude, 72-year-old dude with grandkids and he's still alive and making music. As long as long as we're talking about him and I have this platform. Yeah. I just want to say real fast that his daughter, Alexandra Richards, yeah. she and I have the same birthday. Okay. July 28th, okay? I yeah. was 1985, she was 1986. Uh-huh. And I just want to also say that she was photographed in the pages of Self Magazine holding the Titus Andronicus record, Local Business. And that may have just been because it was a red vinyl prop. Uh-huh. But then again, maybe not. Same birthday. Yeah. I don't know. I can find and, out and if she likes you. I, I would appreciate you it. You want to know? I mean, I well, I got not way. really. I want her to like us. Okay. I want the so whole. You leave I want the mystery. I want to, well, no. I, I got just, a guy. I'm, I'm getting up here and I'm just saying to the world, yeah. like there's a, there's like a, there's a, a connection here, folks. Like there is, there's a the will of the universe. Yeah. Is trying to make itself known. Okay? Yeah. We got the same birthday and the video for Trouble from Cross-Eyed Heart. That dropped on July 27th, okay? okay? So maybe Keith didn't know. Maybe that was intended as a present for his daughter, but that was my 30th birthday present this year. You oh, know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, new Keith Richards video, and he's watching Keith's hands going just like they should, and yeah. it's like, oh, man, that was a great birthday, you know? But I'm <laughs> yeah. just saying, I guess I'll just come right out and sure. say it. It is because you got to, like, visualize what you want, right? And you uh -huh. got to make, like, your vision chart for the mm -hmm. things you want. Mm -hmm. I feel like the expensive winos and Keith are probably going to go play some shows, he said. Mm -hmm. He said that there'll probably be some expensive winos shows. Yeah. And what a great band. Steve Jordan on yeah. drums, fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, I really think that if these shows do happen, that Titus Andronicus should be the opening act. Okay. I'm just putting it out there. It's out the, there. Alexandra Richards and I have the same birthday uh, nobody out there has studied as much as I have in our little field anyway, maybe like some much older guys, but yeah. come on. Yeah. Come, come on, on, Keith. Come on, Keith. Let's, Throw Patrick let's, let's, a bone. Let's do it, man. Like, you would think I was cool. Yeah, I think you would, man. Come on. And Alexandra, this birthday thing, you already held the record Let's go. Let's make this happen. Like, Connecticut is pretty close to New York City. That's where we live. Yeah. Whatever. Fuck this show. It's like, we'll come over the house. Jam. You never, not even jam. You could just sit around and smoke cigarettes. You, you guys would, I think you guys would get along. He likes to talk. Smart guy. You're, you uh, like to talk. You're a smart guy. 
Well, maybe I should talk less, listen more. Really? Maybe that's part. Is that going to be the new stickles? Well, no, because then would then I would be out of a job. Yeah. Well, well, you do both of them. Yeah. It seems. How do you How do you do it? I just force myself to shut up. God, it's hard. It's hard. It took a long time of uh, of like uh, talking to people and realizing that I didn't need to fucking talk. You know, like sometimes it's like, all right, just don't talk. Well, yeah, like yeah, just what's it? You don't have to always fill the void. Well, yeah, it's hard though, man. It's, um, it's very. It's so wait. So you played the Roxy, and you said coming in that you know that uh, you, you uh, got the same number of people that Bruce did. How'd you? What was it? Where was that math? Except for the except for the, the, VIP, the VIP section. Our VIP section was was barren, except for maybe like two people who had a whole bunch of elbow room. But then the dance floor. But that's a testament to uh, perhaps being, uh, you know, at that point in your life where it's just real rock and roll, and the the that, VIPs that, are not that hip. Would, that would be nice. They're if not the hip, hip yet. If the hip. Well, I mean, the VIPs. Maybe they can just skip it. Yeah. Who needs the VIPs, man? Would it make you feel better if uh, if uh, Lemmy was in the corner? Oh well, Lemmy is a different sort of <laughs> VIP, or Iggy, or anybody like that. Yeah. It's different, but like you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess I wouldn't mind. What's if it, some like network executive or something or uh you know came to came to the show and gave me the same deal you got sure. I wouldn't mind that if they want to if they want to put me on TV or in the movies or something they can stand back there but You want to be in the movies? No, not not really. But I but it's a well, let me put it this way. Yeah. Last night at the Roxy Theater quite a big fan of Bruce Springsteen okay I'll admit it I'm from New Jersey just like he is he has a very legendary uh, concert recording from the Roxy July 7th 1978 it was the source of most of the first disc of his live 1975 to 85 box set Uh and so that was what we were playing over the PA last night um, between the bands Baked from Brooklyn and Spider Bags from North Carolina it behooves me to mention these great artists. Anyway, and at the beginning of the concert, Bruce gets out there and says something like, I know that a lot of people waited a long time online to get tickets for this show. A lot of people didn't get in. I don't I don't play no private parties anymore. Uh-huh. I only play my own parties now. Yeah. Less rock. And uh, so that's 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 what it is, you know, like and attracting these uh these VIPs or whoever these uh cultural tastemakers you know these people that have got the keys that have got access to the apparatus of the industry uh-huh. you know that's 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 just a present company excluded obviously yeah. uh, that's like a means to an end you know what i'm saying to reach the people that are going to fill up the dance floor right you know because sure. these vips you know maybe you know we might have been the hottest ticket in town last night probably not i think kanye west or somebody was in town <laughs> yeah. uh, who i admire very much too but you know if every if all those people were saying i need to be in there tonight because this is the hottest ticket in town well you know where are these people going to be in two years uh-huh. when it's not the hottest ticket in town you know yeah. what I'm saying? I'm, uh, it's much more important to foster and nurture the connection with the people who... Love you. Yeah, who have a real genuine yeah. connection to the, the art and yeah. and don't and aren't concerned with the status that comes along with it. And if they were trying to be part of any scene, it's just the scene around the band, you know, because it's sure. a beautiful communal, the whole rock and roll thing. Everybody together is like a little family for one night and a little temporary autonomous zone taz 
Taz, yeah. Yeah, Hakim that's, Bey. That's, that's pretty good. That's, yeah. not, that's not such a bad acronym. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a real acronym. <laughs> I, uh, so I wrote, there was a book, Autonomedia put out a book by a guy named Hakim Bey called uh, Taz. Temporary really? autonomous zone. God, I might I've been it up talking. For you. I've been talking about it for years. I Have didn't you? even know where it came from. Well, I know I didn't make up that phrase. Yeah, I, I might. I'll but, show you the book after. A, I might have it still. That's an important concept right now in the in the movement to make the rock and roll slash punk scene less violent and more inclusive to people. You know, who maybe can't or don't want to participate in those kinds of like macho right uh, beat the shit out of everybody yeah on the dance you know, floor yeah get yourself bloody i mean you know even if it's not even if people aren't breaking their nose every single night like with certain <laughs> so-called punk bands yeah. like they, it's still has often been the case that you know a show will begin and in the front row will be a lot of uh people that i'm really very interested in sharing my secret yeah. feelings with not that i'm trying to like play super favorites i mean i am you know but like but meeker people you yeah, know who sure. are who i know are probably there to you know to be like an aficionado you know what i'm saying and want to be you know at the front of the stage to 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 feel what it's all about the struggle you know? dude yeah yeah but then you know a lot of the times you know they'll be there and they'll be singing along for some kind of sensitive pensive opener and something <laughs> and i'm like wow this is the life man like i feel so there's so much mutual validation yeah. going on i feel so safe and loved and they feel the same i know <laughs> and then it's like one two three four bana into some giant hit and in yeah. 30 seconds it's a it's all shirtless frat boys <laughs> And nothing against those people, you know, because I I might not have been in a fraternity, but I've been like definitely a, a dumb punk bro yeah. that like made the scene less inclusive just by you know yeah. thinking that oh I'm just going wild and this is the the way to go, and that's fine, you know, like but it's it's like there's questions of affirmative consent. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah, shouldn't, yeah. it shouldn't be taken for granted that if you step onto the dance floor at a punk show or if you're in the front row because you want to be by the amplifiers or whatever you want to be <laughs> beat up <laughs> well yeah that, that's not that's not signing up to get to get pummeled yeah, yeah. clobbered but i like that you like you're such a fan of bruce because and i don't know if we talked about this the last time but there there's always you're really good at knocking out the anthems building up the build building up the pace right right getting it going like i like because like whatever punk rock is you know i've talked to like people who are part of the original punk thing where it meant something a little different but you just play fucking rock and roll songs dude that's right well there's <laughs> a there's a distinction for me between punk the the ideology mm -hmm. and punk rock music right like you said the first wave has got certain aesthetic signifiers it was just meant different to it yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and it was different from the dominant culture right. at that time which was very excessive yeah so they said we have to be more economical whatever the ramones sure. were doing you know yeah because like you said we mostly just play rock and roll it's great man and everything kind of weaves into the next you always did that though i mean you know the the monitor is like close to an opera in mm -hmm. a way and, you know, well, that doesn't have a a, a linear narrative, right. exactly. But it's a, definitely a concept it's got a frame, record. A frame story, and then kind of a more series of vignettes, more well, like Born to Run in that way. As yeah. long as we're as long as we're giving credit where it's due to the boss. But the river too is sort of a concept, right? He's made a few. 
Right. Well, I, I thought a lot more about the river when making that one. Your new one. Yeah, just because um, I, I I didn't get that one for a lot of years because it has a certain bipolar quality to it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's got like uh, Sherry Darlin right next to, you know, Point Blank or whatnot. Yeah. Or, or you know, there's yeah. super dark songs, like some of his darkest, bleakest stuff right next to like his most uplifting, joyous stuff. And I was like, what's up with that? Yeah. And I see now, and I had to have it explained to me by a couple different books, but I see that... That's a, kind of a richer experience than, say, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Right. Which is, like, purely bleak. Like, it's very, uh, you know, finely distilled sort of a thing, but it, it has it's sort of a little bit one-dimensional, and I would have to level the same accusation at, you know, most of the Titus Andronicus albums prior to this one that you're holding there. Yeah. Because I thought that it would be very corny to sing about, say, romance or to write a song that says, hey, everything actually is going to be okay. You know, mm -hmm. I've always had moments like that. Yeah. I didn't see how they could fit into my particular artistic purpose. But that, hence the, the rock opera and the emotional camouflage of the so-called fictional story. And also, when you got three records, you can just, you document the perseverance of the human spirit. Exactly. That's and then, how you glimpse real transcendence. That's you know? it, buddy. Well, you did it, man. I'm trying. Well, it's, uh, I'm glad we talked for a little while. It's a, it's, a, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for all your support over the years. Sure, man. Thank you for all the laughs. Thank you for all the validation. Yeah, and thank you for the the uh, original test pressings of oh, well. uh, The Most Lamentable Tragedy. Hey, you know, there's, I know you're vinyl guy. It was sweet, buddy. It's great to see you, Patrick. It's great to be here. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> So don't forget to pick up that album, The Most Lamentable Tragedy. And if you get it at mergerecords.com slash shop, use the promo code WTF to get 20% off. It's a good record, people. I mean it. He means it. Stickles means it. Titus means it. Michael Cronin. Uh, he's one of Ty Siegel's buddies. I loved his last record, MC2, and now there's MC3. And there, I, actually, he's on Merge Records, too. So you can go to mergerecords.com slash shop, and that's 20% off with the WTF promo code. But I was always sort of curious about Michael Cronin. I thought he was some sort of wizard. I thought he was older than he was. I thought a lot of things about Michael Cronin. And then he comes, he's like, he's just this guy, just this young dude who happens to play really fucking great music. But he can he does the the, the full spectrum He'll do some noise music. He'll do some psychedelic music. And then these records, these last couple of records, good rock pop. He lives down the street. So here's, uh, here's me talking to Michael Cronin. So we're inside. And I, I told you I watched the, um, the Eagles documentary. Now, like, I'm on neither side of this fight, the Eagles fight. Me too. You're, oh, you're immediate. You're in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind it when it comes on, but I don't, right. I don't actively hate it. Right. It, it, like I don't understand what makes some bands cool for hipsters. Like the the bands that those guys came from, kind of like that whole that the Birds and well, that's weird. It's the Birds and uh, the Flying Burritos Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. They're cool. Yeah. Belinda Ronstadt, the Eagles, not cool. Not cool. How the fuck does that happen? <laughs> I don't but know. You, you said you witnessed an argument. It, it seems to keep coming up. The really? Eagles. Recently? For, yeah, I think because some people are getting, some young people seem to be getting oh. into them a little, maybe. I don't know. Oh, so now I, 
I'm not on the cusp of No, me neither. Cool but I mean just the idea of that's kind of interesting to me. So there's some there's some uh hipster arguments. Some heated discussion. Like one idiot, you know. <laughs> With some fancy glasses goes, I don't know, I think the Eagles are okay. And some guy goes, no, 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 no Eagles. No. I think it'll come back around. It's like Fleetwood Mac seemed to get cool again a couple of years ago. Like Lance and Liz down at Permanent Records, they say like they sell at least one or two a day all of a sudden. Really? Yeah. Well, that's because like a lot of the people that are buying records are fucking old guys like me oh, trying to <laughs> find some part of our life that we lost. There's no, nothing more humbling than being in a record store going through bins with chubby 50-year-old dudes <laughs> that look kind of like me with a sad face. It's <laughs> great. Well, did you buy Rumors? I have Rumors, sure. You like it? Yeah. Where'd you grow up, buddy? Um, I was born I was born in LA here, um, but then moved to Laguna Beach when I was like nine or so. Yeah. So spent those formative years there. In Laguna Beach? Down in Orange County, yeah. On the beach? On the beach. So was that where Ty, is that where you met Ty? Yeah, we went to high school together. You and Ty Siegel went to high school together. Yeah. See, this is like, the weird thing about you guys is that like a lot of people don't know you guys or your music, but you're not even 30 and you have like 50 records out between the two of you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever just think about that? It's it's kind of gotten really lucky to just like stay busy and have eventually have people just want to release, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's weird when I first saw you or pictures of you or when I saw you play with um, with Ty at the Echo that one time I was there. Oh yeah, uh, I I assumed you're like because uh, you had your long hair and some scruff <laughs> yeah. that you you seem to have sort of an ageless demeanor and i decided you're, you're like the old wizard but it turns out <laughs> you cut your hair and you're just a you're just a punk like the rest of them I'm just a dude <laughs> <laughs> you're I like behind. the ageless wizard though that's amazing well yeah because you know you sort of showed up on on you know a lot of thai stuff and and thai uh you know i just i got into him i guess a couple years ago so when you guys are coming up you're all in high school and I don't even. I'm. I'm afraid to ask what year that is. What is that like? Ninety eight, two thousand. When do you? I graduated in two thousand four. Oh my god. Ty was oh three. Yeah. Right. So you're all down there in Laguna. Yeah. And who's the who's the other guy that's on uh, the? Uh, Charles Moothart. So what kind of shit are you are you listening to? What's the deal? Uh, back then, like in high school. What brought you guys together? We. I. I remember like. In the like early two thousands, we we're kind of all listening to. Well, there was, there was like punk bands, you know, like Black Flag and um, old stuff. Kind of, yeah, but then there's also like the stuff that was coming out. There's a lot of like dance punk. Yeah, moving units uh-huh. and uh, the Rapture. <laughs> okay, just kind of like a disco beat. Right, that got really hip for a second. Really? Yeah, I missed everything. Uh, I mean, that was that was a quick thing. But I was, was already old and sad by then. <laughs> Yeah, but we all we all kind of listened to that, and then Ty already had a band, like a a duo band, where he'd play drums and sing, and then our other friend uh, played like bass and keyboard at the yeah, same time and right. sang, and he kind of had like a I love this guy, but he had a pretty like affected Tom Waitsy voice. Oh, really? Sixteen year old. He's amazing. He's awesome. And it was kind of there's a lot of like that disco kind of punk thing going on really yeah a little bit it was called the love this and they would play they were like there was not a lot of music going on at our high school it was really small 
or in our town. There's no really place. There's what no town? Place to it was play. Laguna. Laguna, yeah. Really? So there's it was just all happening at the school and in people's houses. It's just like house parties, like high school parties. So they would be like the resident band, and then so I I was already a fan, and then word got around. I I played saxophone in the school band, like the marching <laughs> band and the jazz band. Was that your first instrument? Uh, that was from when I was ten. You played yeah. sax because yeah. your folks were like. Why don't you play an instrument? Yeah, well, my 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 mom's a musician, so yeah. she, she started me out and my siblings on um, piano pretty early. Professional musician? No, uh, she she could be. She um she just retired, but she was uh she's an ER doctor at Cedar Sinai. Up here? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. So she would commute a couple times a week from so South she, Orange County. Oh, to do the all night shift. Uh, kind of thing. No, you know, she had like decent shifts by the end. Mm-hmm. But um, so she was like a, a, a internist, or like just a general doctor. I think general. Doctor, yeah, 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 one of those guys. People darling, dealing with all the gnarly shit. Yeah, comes in. Yeah, that guy's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. But um, I mean, what did your dad do? He he just retired as well, but he was he was a lawyer. Wow. Yeah. Smart people. You're doing all right down there. <laughs> this is fine. Was it a hard, t- a hard upbringing? No, I mean, how many siblings you got? I got three others. What are they? Um, <laughs> they're they're human. Uh, they're all smart people. Really? I have a my my older sister is less than a year older than me, so we're Irish twins, so to speak. Uh huh. I guess that's just slang. one followed the other. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Within like eleven months and a couple days. And then you got what brothers or? Yeah, I got a, a younger brother. It's like. 15 months younger wow my parents went quick just knocked him out <laughs> yeah let's get this over with and he just he graduated law school wow so he's working at a firm my my youngest sister just moved to la to go to law school they're all doing that <laughs> yeah and then there's me yeah doing this thing well how do you how your how do your folks feel about that um they're really supportive really yeah especially now that I mean, for a while, my mom was always supportive because she's a musician. She kind of lived like Harris. Oh, she plays, um, she plays piano and harp. She plays like classical. There's music. a harp in the house. Yeah, a big harp, harp. Big harp, and she can do it. She she shreds. Yeah. Wow. So you you grew up plinking around on a harp. Yeah, a little bit. Try not to break it. <laughs> Try not to tip it over. <laughs> um, I kind of regret not learning harp. Do, do you think it's, it's too late? Michael, I, mean, I don't know. It's I never can, too late to learn I can plunk around. I understand it. Really? But it's not, it's not, you can't apply it very well, you know? Right. I think, isn't there one groovy harp player? Well, Joanna Newsom. Joanna Newsom. Yeah, she's great. That's right. She's the harp player. Yeah. She married Andy Samberg. She did. All right. So you're playing, so she gets you on saxophone. Yeah. So you know how to read music. Yeah. And what kind of music you playing on sax? Were you, were you kind uh, of, did you get involved? Did you get interested in jazz or just marching band? I, I mean, I did. They had, you know, they had like a kind of big band style, right? Of, yeah, yeah. you know, high school sure. jazz band, yeah. which I really liked. And I played like the lead, so I got the solos and stuff. And oh yeah, so you yeah. could do it, huh? Yeah, and like it was kind of a, it was kind of an unsaid rule that you had to be to play in the jazz band. You kind of had to be in the marching band because it was the same kids, <laughs> and I, you know, hated marching band. It's terrible, man. Just, yeah, just so you were in the marching uh, band. Yeah, but that was just the that was the price you had to pay to to do <laughs> yeah. to do to do some leads, huh? Yeah, that was the only thing that kept you in. It's like oh, I'm the I'm the main sax dude. Yeah, I, was, I guess I got to go out and do this fine. dumb parade. I also I I got to play the baritone sax in the marching band, which 
That's it's a big he- one. It's heavy as shit. But yeah, it's it's awesome. It's got the best range, just low like honk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you do parades and shit? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the stupid little capes and shit. I don't did, know. Did, didn't you get any flack from that cool guy? I was never a cool guy. No? I fit right into that to that band. Oh, I, I was not the cool guy. You weren't. But I, I, yeah, I hung out with the you know the nerds and the the band nerds. Yeah, it's a couple of them. Or like the computer nerds, and then eventually like the skateboarders, and then like the punks. You know. So you went from computer nerds, and then somebody turned you on to some drugs, and then, <laughs> and then you're like, "I gotta go." I was clean. I was totally clean living until you know my twenties. Really? I still haven't. I don't. I don't do a lot of drugs or anything. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm not no. judging you. I'm no. not going to be like, "Really, what a puss." <laughs> <laughs> Why not, man? No, I was just. Yeah, I was just. Um, I don't know, doing my thing. But how does that blow up, though, like that? Because, like, you know, you're doing saxophone, you're in a marching band, you're wearing capes. What changes? What blows your mind into, like, you know, playing the bass and then doing punk rock? Like, what was the moment? Um, Do you remember? I mean, it was it was really like joining that joining that high school band with, uh, with Ty and Coleman, the Love This. It was... Uh, so you saw them at a party. And yeah. And you were like, these well, guys... And I, are- I was getting to know, like, Ty a little bit. Um, what was he like when he was uh, younger? Because you guys are both pretty soft-spoken, but it seems like you were kind of, you know. I mean, he was, yeah, he was, he's a madman. He is, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know he was soft-spoken in here. I heard the interview. but Oh, um, so I didn't get the real tie, God damn it! Well, no, he just, he's, he just, no, he, that's, that was the real, you got, yeah. he got the real guy. The sweet guy? He just got one side of the coin. Right. Um, well, he, when he gets on stage, he seems like a guy that just sort of comes to life up there. Yeah. Like, that's how he, that's what he, that, where he lives it out. He, he fits. Yeah, yeah. The, like, yeah, yeah. He becomes yeah. a guitar hero. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it kind of felt like an old movie or something because I heard word that like, oh, the love of this kind of wants a saxophone player. I, oh, I it's a sax player. Yeah. So, and then... And I remember, like, I think I was 17. Yeah. I was probably 16. School ends. We're in the parking lot. See him walk over. He's like, hey, man, do you want to... Oh, we're looking for a sax player. It kind of felt like, <laughs> hey, cat, come come jam. Come yeah. sit in with us. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, of course. And then just went over a couple of days later and, like, it, joined the band as the third. Into someone's house? Who would Ty's house? Or where did you Yeah, go? I was... Uh, played at Coleman's... In Coleman's, like garage yeah kind of basement garage. right <laughs> yeah. yeah and that was kind of my first time being in a being in a band but playing you, like did, did you jam um i i kind of just i kind of i knew their songs you know because i see i saw them so many times so i just kind of jammed over it you know uh-huh. so they were a real thing like you saw them many times at many parties yeah a couple times i mean they, they, were they would cool. they would strictly they wouldn't go out and play any like public shows or anything like mm-hmm. none of us knew how to do that at all well what are you like 17 16 yeah um but there's just no you know there's no other bands like going to play gigs around town or anything so no one comes through not laguna no so how'd you... like we would have to we'd have to go, come up to la usually did you guys make the trip sometimes yeah we started going to the um, to the smell a lot downtown yeah you know that place no it's like a it's like a all-ages DIY space that's been around for years and years. Oh yeah, and that's where like all, that's where all the first shows I saw were, and that's where all the my bands would play for the first time. What, they were, like, they were well, very open. Sure. Like, well, the all ages thing for the punk rock thing was huge. Yeah, 
I mean, it was like five bucks usually. They like, knew who their audience was. Yeah, gotta get the all, kids in here. It's all kids, and there's a whole there's a whole strong scene about it now. Like, it's at some point. Like I I've talked to Ty a couple times over permanent and shit, and you know he's turned me on to records. Well, it just seems like there's this garage psych sound that is um, popular, or or at least you know like the thing. Sure. There's another LA band that does sort of like even more kind of you know lyrical, less garage, more psych sounding. Is it Wand? Yeah, Wand. Yeah, those are buddies of mine. Yeah, they're amazing. They're my yeah. favorite band. Right? Oh, really? Band. Yeah. Are you guys all the same age? Um, yeah, a little younger. The the they're younger or the, you're younger. They're they're a little younger, but we're <laughs> around the same age. The oh, younger no. kids keep. Oh my god, <laughs> you're already there. These kids. Yeah, but me and the like the main songwriter Corey Hansen, uh, we. We went to college together up at um, at CalArts. Yeah, um, and we were roommates for a couple of years. So it's really good to see him like have a band that everyone loves, and because he's so talented and like the songs are amazing. Like the whole vibe of that music. Yeah, is well, incredible. oh, I think Lance and Liz turned me on to them. I don't know what I'd do without Lance and Liz. <laughs> I missed about it seems about thirty years of music somehow, and uh, then like they yeah. But the weird thing is, is this like that that record I played for you in there? Is that now? you know music nerds and record nerds are going back into catalogs of completely off you know non-mainstream off the grid people that were on big labels yeah but you would never know their shit sure. really or or their b-sides and then you start to realize like how much of a fucking stronghold mainstream music business had on all of our brains yeah like we you know you've got there's no way you're gonna get turned on to that shit unless someone goes dude <laughs> yeah because they just pump the same shit over the radio all the time right but there's like there's thousands of fucking records out there at, at, of the same time even at any any time in history of music of unheard people yeah i mean like thank god for the internet for that reason right. alone or record store clerks right you know i was living back in laguna like after high school and then um and late in high school i used to have shows at my parents house they were they would allow that so it'd just be like those bands and um at your parents house you would my parents you house. would sort of be the uh the host i'd be the host how many bands yeah oh my well it would the thing was like people would start there was no you know there's no real outlet for music and then eventually there's a bunch of music kids and so everyone would start a band like for these shows and play like <laughs> two or three songs right and it was just the same group of like 10 people like would mix and match yeah. oh, different bands so there'd be like i don't know 10 to 15 bands per night you know just mix it but the same 10 dudes or, or pretty women, much and you just kind of yeah you guys still do that yeah i guess so it's <laughs> it's more fun that way well that, i mean it's more that, fun just to like but see that i think that's a relatively new thing it, it, with your crew of guys it seems i mean there was a lot of studio guys that show up on a lot of uh, different albums oh, but sure. it seems like all of you guys like even on that meat the what's that record i just got the meat, meat bodies the meat bodies like you can hear ty all over that thing if he's not in there it sounds like that he's some influence doesn't he play a little on that yeah he does yeah yeah and, play some drums I think. yeah but it's just uh but there's a, a sound to it but it, it's interesting that that whole idea and i imagine it's not that different but i haven't heard it from talking to musicians where you guys were just kids you had no outlet so your parents thank god were like you can have your friends over to play music oh they're amazing about that yeah and you would have these parties that didn't get out of control no everyone would kind of keep each other in check there wasn't even a lot of like drinking or drugging or anything it was just like very positive what a respectful bunch of uh of uh, kids you all were <laughs> <I> <laughs> tried to be i mean of course there would 
be problems and the cops would come all the time just from the loudness yeah and i would like try to tell my neighbors like little notes being like we're gonna have a little birthday party you should you should have said we're doing something very important musically (laughs) next door we're we're building a a generation of psych rockers (laughs) and punks stay off our backs man (laughs) yeah man jesus so um, oh so okay so yeah it's it ten of you just interchanging bands and did all the bands sound different yeah kind of um I'm, I remember me and Ty played in this uh, this metal band called Goat Herder it was like a thrash metal band mm-hmm. where like me and him would both switch off on bass and drums and like try to do double kick drum and, and we you? had like four songs that but it would always go crazy and like the the singer Tom would like spit he'd get like what is that Bacardi 151 or yeah, something yeah flame it yeah and they yeah. have a tiki torch and we're all wearing like um uh Hawaiian shirts yeah and shorts and yeah. then you'd spit fire inside the house <laughs> and that was the, that was as bad as it got <laughs> yeah there was oh, there was always this like this little window by the by the door that somebody would amazingly never get hurt but yeah. inevitably somebody would fall through that little window <laughs> <laughs> and it was like on ground floor, you know, it's like a yeah, platter window. So I I yeah, I would always just the next day I have to go and buy like plates of glass and replace that. But that's about like as out of control. That's as so I had one party at my house with two bands when I was a kid because my parents let me. They were out of town and I turned the entire house into like a club and it just <laughs> packed out. Uh-huh. It was a disaster. At the end of the night there was a an, a, a very uh, obese uh, naked woman in the hot tub that we couldn't get to leave. That, that's how that ended. That nobody up. knew. Yeah, probably. no, of course yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd you come with? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. I saw a light. So when did you guys get turned on to the bands that influenced you? Really? I mean, like, because it, like, yeah, I know that, like, I didn't even know who the fuck Hawkwind was until Ty told me, and then you get into that catalog, and it's like, oh my god, there's a hundred records. Yeah. Sure. When did who started sort of like tapping into some of that older shit that defines some of your sounds now? You know, I was I was always really late to, like, rock. There wasn't any, there wasn't really any like rock music at all in my house. My parents were like, like my mom was a classical musician, right? And so there'd be like light classical and smooth jazz. Right. My dad would listen to like conservative talk radio in the car. Oh and, uh, no. <laughs> um, Rush, so Limbaugh, I, Rush Limbaugh and his long pauses. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so you grew up with the, the conservative mindset. Yeah. So I, I just didn't even, I didn't even know. I didn't know what rock music was really. And I remember, I think I was like nine, eight or nine. I was like, I, because I none of my my siblings weren't really into mm-hmm. music too much either. Oh my god! So you just had the harp and the piano and your sax yeah. and. But I remember Rush go, Limbaugh. I remember going to like the public library. So I'm like, I want to check out rock music. What's rock music? Really? I, I went. Yeah, I went. You to, said that to the librarian? <laughs> no, I just I wandered <laughs> over to the cassettes. Yeah, I had a bunch of cassettes. How old were you? I think I was eight or nine. Yeah. Um, I picked. I just picked one out, and it was like. You know, guy with long hair and a guitar shredding. I was like, oh, this looks like rock music. I take it home and listen to it, and it's like, I forget what it was. It was like the Scorpions or something. It was right. like some yeah, yeah, hair metal crazy, yeah, ridiculous shit. And then, but then I had this. Um, Did it make an impact? I think that one didn't stick. <laughs> but God, pretty been... soon after that, I mean, we had this uh, when we moved to Laguna. 
we had this uh, for scorpions some reason, weren't horrible, but you know what I mean. No, no, no. Yeah, but it wasn't. I mean, it, it was worse than scorpions. It was okay. something. All right, it was something worse. Queens, right? <laughs> I don't even know what they do. I don't I just, know. I do. So okay. But so I had then, this. I had this cool um, babysitter type. We weren't babies, but he would like. My, my parents work so he'd like pick us up from school and right. he, was, he was a lifeguard yeah we had a string of lifeguard like babysitter huh. people for some reason that's interesting yeah might want to talk to your mom about that um <laughs> 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 uh, yeah but then he i he would pick us up from school and he he introduced me to nirvana really and that was my my first favorite band i was like 10 or 11 like so i immediately bought everything i could and like right. that that really changed that really like change everything for me so that was probably when the what the last of when nevermind came out it was it was actually like right it would be right after he died so, oh really it would be like i forget when he died but it would have been like 95 or 96. right right and that did it huh that did it that oh, did it thank god for that guy yeah the remember... lifeguard saved your life <laughs> <laughs> he gave you nirvana it was it was amazing i remember like totally i didn't see anything funny about it at all but I was, we were listening to it and um, it's like, oh man, I want to start a band that sounds like Nirvana. I think I'm going to call it Nirvana 2. <laughs> Did you do that? I'm, I still plan to someday because <laughs> I love it. I, I didn't Those see- Those big shoes to fill, buddy. remember him laughing and Who? like I didn't, just the, the babysitter lifecare Oh, when you, when you said that? And Nirvana 2. Yeah. And now, yeah. And now what, you were like 10? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he must have thought it was hilarious because it, it was probably yeah. an earnest idea. No, it's like, there's, why? Why wouldn't I call it Nirvana too? I love Nirvana. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, went, and then I from there I got yeah I got into like uh, like Metallica, like really you went from Nirvana and Metallica because I never went Metallica, but a, a lot of people go Metallica. Yeah, those early records are really cool. No, they're great because they sort of like it, both of those bands kind of annihilate that that kind of blues base of of most rock and roll like they kind of go their own way sure like uh, like the nirvana stuff that's all pop chords a lot of them like you know kind of sad almost beatlesy it's beatles worship right like through a big muff yeah and 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 metallica like i don't even know what the fuck that is as far as progressions are where'd that come from i don't know it's just shredding (laughs) (laughs) but like there's no like there's no one four five kind of chorusing there's its own world it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So those were the two. Those were the defining factors. Yeah. And there was like Green Day and like, you know, like kind of early uh, The Offspring. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude, I've actually been the last week or so, mm-hmm. been going back and listening to old Offspring. Really? Yeah. I'm like really into it. <laughs> Blasting down the freeway. It's yeah. cool, like smash. Yeah, yeah. Thing. I don't know. I just like that. And when did you get into uh, like some of the psych rock stuff? Was that Ty? That was yeah. That was tying that that group of friends. Really, they like, were into it. It was it was really it was really like late high school that I started getting getting into some of the music that I still listen to, or you know, like garage rock and some punk stuff and stuff. It it took it took that group of friends to. I finally had like music friends, right? You know, and when did you decide to go to Cal Arts? How did that like? Did you pull out of like all those high school bands? And then where is that place? It's up in uh, Valencia, and so that was a commuter. Did you live up there? Um, I lived up there. That was years after high school. Actually, I I bounced around before. I like went up to Portland immediately after high school. And and which which bands were you in up there? Let's go. No through bands. The, no bands. No bands. Which is was it a chick? 
<laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's school. Oh. It's like a college. Oh, but, you went to college in Portland? Yeah, and I kind of like, I kind of thought. I, Done with music? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I I thought, I, I wasn't, I wasn't like, pre- I didn't get this direct pressure like yeah. from my family, but. You know, as they're they're all <laughs> lawyers, know, like, academic, and, like and doctors and lawyers, brilliant and, yeah. people. So I mean, I, they didn't, they weren't like you need to cut out music and get right. go to school and get a real job. Right. But I I felt I felt that like on my own. <laughs> right. So I kind of I kind of um, yeah I kind of started trying to study. How long did that last, bud? Not not very long. A year. Yeah, it was a crazy time up there. I uh, get depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, it's actually, yeah, there's uh, the story of that time is like kind of the, the B side of my last record, MC3. It's really? kind of like a mini, it's like a narrative, a mini concept record. It's the whole, our, the second side of Michael Cronin. Yeah. Three. It's the first like uh through line, uh, series of songs I've done. Which was, what was that through line? It was, I, I mean, I was up there, I was in school. It was like a tough school. I didn't really. It's just like I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just like I need to graduate school and get yeah. a job. I wasn't playing music. So you just sort of like, okay, uh, high school's done. Now I've got to focus and do what I'm I'm expected to or what cultural there's cultural expectations. You yeah. Just, right, right, right. Yeah. And yeah, I do want to stress cuz I know they'll listen. It wasn't it wasn't like my folks that were Right, no, it was, it was just, just sort of like this is what people do. And that's that's what people did. That's right. what like all my high school friends did. Orange most, County, man. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I guess I that's right. That's I don't need to pigeonhole it. That's just what you do when you come from people that are educated. No, sure. Is, yeah, you assume you get that, educated, right? You <laughs> assume it's time to do this. And so, uh, yeah. so I, I like, um, yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a time where I was just like, kind of something was wrong. I was, I wasn't doing something right. You know, it's a little vague, Michael. I know it was vague. Really? But I you mean, just didn't feel right. I didn't feel. I didn't feel right. I started like, you know, getting depressed and anxious for the first time oh yeah like anxiety attacks yeah i had i had a few of those for Ugh, the first worst. time i was just like outside of my bubble I, yeah yeah i grew up in such a bubble like right and you had friends and everything now you're up in portland yeah. where it's dark and weird and the town has a certain vibe to it and, yeah and you're with the you know i imagine fairly rich kids from all over the world sure that seemed to have more of their shit together that kind of thing yeah and and like at the same time like i developed this like create this really bad back injury from from years of uh like you know skateboarding and yeah. stuff i it turned out i slipped a disc but i had a uh i just felt it in my like leg yeah sciatica so yeah yeah i thought it was it was coming on slowly and i thought i like pulled a hamstring or something yeah it got worse and worse and worse to the point where like couldn't even really like walk anymore and, and this is your first year of college this is yeah the, sec- the second year and now you're like not only was, uncomfortable but you can't leave your room yeah and you're limping I mean, around I, I would limp around like uh, like like literally like an old man like that oh that my God. speed and i was just like on a bunch of painkillers and i was just like unhappy and like did you have friends of, i had some yeah I had, I had friends that's good and they were good like interesting people and it was like a classic thing where like my worldview was getting expanded. Yeah. In, you know, first right. year of college or whatever. That's good. Um, but like so much was wrong and something was like very wrong and physically I was all fucked up. Yeah. And so 
yeah, that just fed into like depression, anxiety, and like, what am I even doing here? And did then, you have a breakdown? Yeah, I kind of, I had a, I had a snap, snapping point. Um, Called the parents. Yeah. Well, you know, the first, the first time it was, it was, uh, I was, I was going to doctors up there, and they're like, okay, figured out like I slipped a disc and it's wow. bad. Right. And then um, my my mom, my parents were looking into like oh, she's surgery. A doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like usually you don't often have to go to surgery for that for that thing. Sometimes yeah. you can work it out on your own. Yeah. But apparently mine was so far blown out that like I needed to get surgery. Oh. So it's all fucked up. And then there's like this really long waiting list for some reason. Really? Yeah. Even I, like, with the old lady being a doctor? I couldn't get in, but then um Usually I doctors remember, are like, right, let's go to Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but but then I, I still don't know if she pulled some strings or something, but I got a call on like, let's say a Saturday being like, you need to get here by Monday. You're going to have surgery. To LA. Yeah. yeah. Like we fit you in. Right. I was like, oh, okay, sure. And I was already like, so, you know, I was so blurry on like painkillers and yeah. so much like chronic pain. It's, it was, it's was, it was like a chronic pain, which is a crazy thing to deal with. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to describe. Um, you just try to, like, your brain keeps trying to live with it, but you can't. Yeah, it's just like... Right. So I couldn't concentrate. So I was, like, kind of failing out of all my classes anyway. And yeah. And, like, my social life was kind of falling apart. So I just, I, I was like, okay, I had I had my car, so I just loaded up my stuff in my car. All of it? Yeah, I didn't have much stuff, you know. But like, you were like, I'm done with college. school. It wasn't like I'm coming back here. Well, I, I wasn't sure yeah. at that time, but I just, I had to leave. I couldn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone at the school. Mm. Or I had only told like a couple friends. I'm yeah. just like, I'm gone. And mm. then, so I was gone. I had surgery and then I was like laid up in bed for a long time. Yeah. Like now really just kind of like, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> I'm like laid out in bed. I'm like in school, but I hate it. Yeah. Something's wrong. So you had a lot of time to think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, like I, I, I mean, I recovered. I tried to go back to school for a little bit, but yeah. I was still like depressed and fucked up. So right. I just, I left. I went, I went back to Laguna. Were you lost or were you happy to be I home? Was, I was lost, but like the silver. I mean, in retrospect, because that was like ten years ago. But in retrospect, that was like one of the best things that ever happened to me because I was home. I was like aimless. It's like something's wrong, and then my my friends are like, "Hey, do you, do you want to just come over and play music in our basement, like join our band?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." They're like, "Can you play bass?" I'm like, "I could probably learn bass. I don't know." <laughs> and then so we started playing music, and I started like writing music for the first time. Who were those friends? Was that Ty? That was uh, that was that, the first the first band in that period I joined was with this guy, that guy Charles Moothart oh, the guy, from Tom Fuzz. White's voice. No, no, no. The other guy from Fuzz. From Fuzz, he's the guitar player. Oh, Fuzz, okay, you know? good. Yeah, um, yeah, and some other like some other old high school friends, and we started a band. Did it have a name? Um, it just... turned into Moonhearts. Oh, okay. Who I've like Charlie released... and the Moonhearts. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't find those records. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of hard to find. <laughs> I'll bring you one if you want. <laughs> it's fun. It's it's like it's uh, pretty. You know, it's garage rock. Uh huh. Pretty like aggressive like some surf some surf in there so that saved you i feel like it uh, in retrospect it i was just going with it but 
And you're like, it was really important. And, and you started writing songs. Started writing songs. I started singing. They're like, we jammed out something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, who's gonna sing in this band? And like, nobody <laughs> wanted to do it. Right. And I'd never like sung before. I was like, uh, I'll take it. I'll give it a shot. I don't know. <laughs> I'll write some lyrics. <laughs> yeah. And I like sang for the first time. I remember we recorded like in Garage Band down in the basement. I came back the next day with lyrics and a melody I'd written. Uh-huh. And I was like, you guys, everyone out of the room, like go outside. I don't want you to hear this. Yeah. Like me doing my first vocal take ever. Yeah. And uh, I did it and there were, you know, it wasn't good. I've heard it since. It was pretty awful, but they were just like, oh, that's great, man. That's the, you're the singer now. I was like, <laughs> shit. There you go. So I'm not, I'm not. Welcome like a, to rock and roll. Yeah. Singer. I mean, I was excited to like write the song, the songs and the, the melodies and the lyrics and stuff, but like I've never, I I was always I'm always like the shy guy. Yeah. Like I'm Bass still I'm, I'm getting out of it now. Yeah. Like as my in my late twenties or whatever, but like in high school, like I didn't talk to anybody except for my friends. I was so painfully shy. So the idea of like singing in a band was insane. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that whole process like really helped me like just in my normal life like get out of my shell a little more too that's great man so yeah it was like a crazy so that was, was the first band charlie and the moon hearts yeah and yeah. then and then like that so that started the rock uh, the rock career in a way yeah i guess so and we were just we were just like having fun there was no there's absolutely no ambition other than just like let's play some shows and if we can record if we can figure out how to record something that'd be yeah. awesome right then we just make like cassette tapes and like that was the thing, huh? Yeah, I mean that was that was all we could really do. We could do CDRs, or right? We could do, but you couldn't you couldn't sort of mass run them off. No, yeah, I, right. I I I just found because I just moved a couple of days ago into this area. I found some of the first like Moonheart's demo tapes, and they're just you know, now. I now know that there's like shorter lengths of tapes that right. would fit the music better, right? But they're all just like ninety-minute tapes <laughs> with like four songs on it, five yeah. songs, and all that. I just hand drew the covers with like stupid hearts and stars and like glitter. And and, and what was the plan out. with those? You just to give them to fans, but there yeah. was no idea of like how do we make records? No idea. But I think like okay, so this this is sort of what's interesting to me is that okay, so you're making these glittery cassette tapes. You're with this band, Charlie and the Moon Hearts. Mm-hmm. You're doing shit. You feel like you have something. You sounded different than other people i imagine yeah i, mean, what, I tried to yeah what, what was the sound um i mean it was like definitely based in garage punk, punk surfy kind of yeah we we're listening to a lot of like the mummies and like the gories and the oblivions and, right like, right so how does it because you know you look at you or ty and you record on at least three or four maybe five record labels over right. the course of five or six years. I mean, where how do you get from making glittery 90-minute cassettes with four songs on them to sort of, you know, wondering how or, or trying to make a living, you know, on, on record? Yeah, it, I, it's such a... It's so hard to... I don't even know. I mean, it was such a slow burn of just no expectations and, like, starting to, you know, play bigger shows. And then, like, an Italian... A guy with... An Italian guy with, like, a small uh record label that yeah. would just print like 300 black and white 7 inches right contacted me on uh MySpace at the time yeah and just like 
in broken English, do you want to make a seven inch? And I was like, yes, of course. That's my dream. Like, right. I never. So was MySpace important to you? I mean, did that it really... was, it was, it was crazy. It, it, it was, that was the way we like mostly book shows. So you put front. music up on MySpace. Yeah. And you had a page. Yeah. And then you'd find other bands and they'd find you and they'd be like, you know, do you want to play this show? Do you want to play this party? Really? Yeah. So that sort of replaced the the weird kind of fanzine, you know, writing letters that the old punk rockers did. That you know, you, they, yeah, you'd write a letter to a guy in a band or call him, sure, for, yeah, you know, to try to book a gig with some other punk bands. So MySpace really functioned that way. Yeah, it's funny because MySpace is gone. All these things gone. Are, they're going to be gone. Um, but it was really important. Yeah, it's like how we got our first couple records made with the italian guy the italian guy and who was the next record um uh well we uh this was yeah this was on myspace too like um this record label tic tac totally out of chicago Uh just a small small label like one dude working out of his garage now were you finding that you were building a fan base yeah i mean slowly but surely and we started being able to play shows like out of town play in la like at at smell uh yeah, mm-hmm. I think that was that was one of our first shows. Our our first show was at my house. Yeah, of course. And that was also that was the, the most popular venue in the <laughs> beach. Was, that was the <laughs> place to be. The Cronin shows, as they would be called. Um, so what made you decide to go to Cal Arts in the middle of all this? I eventually figured out that like maybe I should go to school and graduate Cause from the, something. Yeah, because I uh, still like still playing all these shows like. I'm not going to be a professional musician because, like, how do you even do that? Like, how do you make a living? You know, I just, I just had you no still cons- thought that, that the way to do that was to go to school. I didn't know. I didn't even think that. I was just oh. like, I'm going to go to school. And the only way I could get through school and get, like, a degree would be to play music there. Right. You know? And it's a cool school. It's, like, really experimental. Yeah. It's, like, the basically, like, the John Cage school of music. Really? Yeah. So you started getting into that. So what'd you learn there? Um, you know, I, I was, is it really the John Cage movie? Did he start it or no, I mean, but all the, all the professors were like contemporaries. Sure. Sure. So it was just, it was that contemporaries of John Cage. Yeah. They like, they would like play plays, you know, they'd play his stuff and they're, they're all like, yeah. A lot of waiting with the John Cage. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of silence. (laughs) Um, but it was really cool because they were just really out there. And it wasn't what, it wasn't like a straight conservatory like right. I would never be able to I I mean I auditioned the way I auditioned was like with saxophone because it was the only I didn't play a lot of saxophone at that time I was mostly like playing in punk bands but it was like that's the only one I can read on right so I think I played like a Bach piece I brought my mom up to audition with me <laughs> yeah so she she backed you yeah she uh oh. she played piano she played piano <laughs> and I wrote like a piece for saxophone and harp uh huh. Did she play harp too? She played harp too. She brought the harp up and they had a piano yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you turns, did two, two pieces? With and then mom? we did we did a third one that was kind of like a Eastern European, like fast kind of klezmer piece with like piano and I'm playing saxophone. And it's you and your mom. It's me and my mom. But there was never a moment they were like, we should get this on record. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think we recorded one of them, but you did? it's just it's just kind of a schmaltzy like uh, piano harp piece. Oh, that's sweet. But I'm still trying to get her on a record. Some I don't know how to I don't know how to tie a harp into my music yet. But I'm I'm gonna it'll happen. It'll happen. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Might you might have, like it sounded like the window to do that would have been when you were at uh, Cal Arts. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 
It was mostly like three years of critically thinking about and playing music like all the time. All kinds. Yeah. So no matter, um, a lot of people, it's, it seems a lot of musicians, there's still a cliche about like, if you go to music school, you'll learn, you'll lose all your like spontaneity and kind of, you know, they say it kills something oh, yeah. in you as a musician. I don't but, know, but you, you entered without the illusion of being some sort of concert saxophone player i mean yeah you'd already been in the trenches in a way yeah and it doesn't sound like it's a noodle school like you know i mean berkeley i think you know, different musical schools produce different types of people sure and it seems like this one was more uh completely creative uh and you could find the education you wanted whereas you know you yeah. weren't being trained to be a proficient studio musician yeah not i mean it, it was more it was more just expanding your mind about what music is and what it can be then like there's still amazing like session musicians that come out of there right of course yeah of course just with a broader sense of like what they can do on their instrument or what they can do with music generally well maybe that's what they were setting out to do you were setting out to be a rock guy yeah i guess so you know <laughs> and i kind of I, I like and you returned to it i returned to it like i i graduated and like a few days later went on tour up the west coast did you make a record there's a record we have a one-sided 12 inch record so you did that right out of school because you guys were in it yeah so it just i mean that was about it for me because i did that tour immediately jumped in the van with ty as soon as i got back to la or san francisco or something and he was like dude i was like he's like you're back in the band i, I played in like early incarnations of his band as like ty siegel right and then I was, I mean, he was up in San Francisco. I was down in LA at school. Was and that then, Reverse Shark Attack? Um, we did that. Yeah, we did that. Um, shoot, when was that? 2009. Yeah. We did, we did, we recorded that just at my parents' house when I was living in Orange <laughs> County. In The famous Cronin studio? <laughs> yeah. It was, and performance space? It was a garage band with one mic, yeah. one amp, a drum set, a guitar, a bass. He um, likes that though. Yeah. I mean, no, he's, it, like, it he's worked out. real organic with that shit, you know. The last record seemed to be a little more production. Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris yeah. Woodhouse. Yeah, that was that was fun. That, that guy does some amazing work. Were you on that record? Um, yeah, I, I I did the string arrangements and then played on a song. I played bass on a song. So you are the wizard. You're like, the guy, you're like get Cronin <laughs> in here. We got to get some, we can uh, need a French horn. If you need a French horn, and, and call some me. cellos. We yeah, a, or a saxophone player. You know, yeah. I've, I've played sax on so many, you know, up in San Francisco bands or down here, whatever. I played saxophone on so many songs that's always the same thing. They're like, all right, here's your solo. Do something melodic for like four bars and then just go squeak. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I know how to do that. That's on, that's on all your friends' records that I've ever been on. So you were in the Bay Area for a while? Yeah. So I, um, that tour actually graduated school. I had like a duffel bag in my bass. Yeah. Uh, jumped in the van with Ty with no break, went on another West Coast tour with him, ended up in San Francisco and just stayed. That's where he was? Yeah, that's where him and most most of the friends I grew up playing music with were. And he was he was already like They're all in the Bay Area, defining yeah. themselves. So okay, okay but the, the, the point is is that you guys were all working and making records on whatever label would yeah. have you and you were playing on everyone's records. Yeah, and at that time, by the time I moved to San Francisco, like I, I hadn't 
haven't had a like a proper job since yeah we just started touring like right maniacs and like ty was we we're all recording you know we weren't making money off the recordings at all but we we're just touring like crazy for the last like you know four four years or whatever and now you're both like i saw you play with him and you you tour with him sometimes or or always when it's a I mean, Siegel band always pretty much yeah yeah and, up and like since since that time about four years ago when i like rejoined and then it's it just it strikes me though i guess we should probably get into um the three solo records because the first michael cronin records on trouble in mind yeah that's a good label they're great yeah they i have to give them credit uh bill and lisa Rowe. uh-huh because we we i got to know them through touring through chicago played with their old band coca-coma Mm-hmm. a few times and we would like they'd let us stay at their house and stuff right so we were friends and then i was coming through with ty siegel and me and bill were listening to music and we we're into the same kind of stuff we we're into these like psychedelic del shannon yeah records. that one yeah that yeah that's a good record the yeah. one the one that everyone knows i so, just got that yeah so we were, we were like connecting on that and i was like at that time i was like i've been thinking about like putting out some music under my own name and i kind of want to be something like this you know like, like kind of psych- psychedelic yeah. pop yeah and he was like uh you definitely should and i pretty much like 95 percent guarantee that if you send it to me just record it like we'll put it out like we're starting this new it's kind of new early record label so yeah. he's like just do it i'll put it out like unless it's fucking terrible right like, of course i won't but yeah <laughs> So that that really like lit the fire under my ass to be like, okay, I'm going to collect all my musical worlds together and try to make this like, this, uh, try to make this record under my own name. And it like it just struck me because I only knew you and whatever I projected onto you from Ty's world. Sure. And then like these records, I'm like, holy shit, this is like full on production, big sounding, you know, pop music that really is like all of the songs were like just hit you in the head in a way where it's sort of like, this is beautifully realized. It didn't like, it didn't seem like, like, you know, we're just kind of plinking around or fucking just like raw as fuck. It sounded like you produce those records. Well, thanks. That's really nice. <laughs> I tried. I worked hard on them. Yeah. And the last one, it's sort of like one of these records where I'm like, this should be a huge record. I don't know. I mean... I'm sorry. I, that's a hard... It's not even a question, but like, <laughs> I, I I know the last two are on Merge and I like him and Mac and you know they've yeah. always been doing a lot of great stuff. They're but awesome. it's, like, it's one of those records where I, I don't really know what the life of records is now, but it yeah. seems to me that it's very accessible. It's catchy, uh, but it's also deep and it's got, you know, this amazing orchestration and stuff that like at another time, you're sort of like, this would be like a hit record. Well, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing that people still want to hear like guitar music at all, you know it's, there's a whole hard. new generation of yeah. guys and i think you guys and a lot of the people you're talking about are defining sort of this this age of music that it there's definitely you know the community of it is always mind-blowing to me that you guys all know each other and that you play with each other and that there's sort of this crew of people moving up with that are getting you know i mean ty's getting a lot of attention yeah and now you're getting a lot of attention and and how, how did you get tied in with all the comedy people through jonah Kinda, yeah. That was I. I've gotten really into comedy the last couple of years. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. Oh good. You know, I started. It started out like hanging around the meltdown. I've been there a few times. That's it's mm-hmm. good. It's a good place. Yeah. Um, I was touring so much, and I was. 
I needed a break from music just in my head. Like mm-hmm. I would just be surrounded by music all the yeah. time. So I was like, should I listen to audiobooks? Should I do this? Like, what's a podcast? Right. So I was really late onto that. And then like, I, I started getting into a lot of podcasts. Like right. Podcasts yeah. I li- I've listened to for years. And yeah. a lot of comedy. And I started like learning about comedy through these podcasts, learning about people. And then I started going out to shows when I moved to LA or once in a while in San Francisco. And then- yeah. I got a Twitter. Comedians yeah. are all about Twitter. And then like... <laughs> you guys don't... I don't know what it is with musicians. Like, I get boxes of fucking records and I'm like, this is a great record. I'm going to tweet this guy. He's like, no. <laughs> or if, they, if there is a tweet, it's from three years ago. Like, you just can't... Yeah. You don't see... You guys don't... Like, there's some part of you guys where it's sort of like, I'd rather not promote it all if that's possible. If there's a way that I, I could... Yeah, I think it's fun. I don't... I don't... I'm bad at self-promotion, but right. I do like reading comedians' tweets. Well, it's good just to have a presence on there so when one of us likes your shit... It's there. Yeah, and that's, we can at least send you somewhere. And my space is over, bud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's how, like, I don't know. For I, Like, Jonah, I think, contacted me. About, did like, you do maybe, his podcast? I have. I did a live one up in Portland. Oh, okay. But it didn't get recorded. <laughs> they, they fucked up. What about uh, Jonah Radio? You haven't <clears throat> been on Jonah Radio? That was that was that one. I know, but you didn't do an interview, kind of hangout thing no, at his but, house? I mean, I actually, I'm, I live a couple houses down from him now. In Atwater? Or are you if he oh that's right he yeah, moved he, to, he bought moved. a house down here yeah he's down the street <laughs> everyone's well, down the street now well he would probably like every it. band you mentioned that I'm like what he'd be like oh I love that record I have that one yeah like, he's like he's like that guy no he he's, needs, yeah he's yeah he knows all the records um, well what? I, just, I don't know I just got I started you know there's a couple comedians who liked my music and then I liked their stuff too it's like him like. So the community's blend. Yeah, Bronner's great. Yeah, so yeah. they they both Jonah and Kurt both directed. There's the two music videos. Right. There's the one that's a rip on. They call me out or, or call yeah. me out that one. And then there, I didn't watch the other one. That's Bronner, uh, Jonah, a joint as well. Um. Well, not a joint, but they were both in it. Oh, but yeah. that was Kurt directed that. And okay. Kristen Shaw stalled starred in. Oh, you're with all the groovy as, kids. <laughs> a uh, big groovy rock uh, comedy crossover. Yeah. I well, like it a lot. I've been and I I got to play, you know, I've gotten to play a few comedy shows at like Nerd Melt or uh-huh. um I saw I I played a Kurt and Kristen show. Oh yeah, times. down at the Virgil? Yeah, I saw yeah, you yeah. I saw you do stand up there once <laughs> when I was, just went. How was that? It's great. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm a big fan. Right, thank I'm, you. I'm trying not to like geek out, but <laughs> Well, I, I, like whenever I do those rooms where it's full of like uh, alt kids, there's part of me that's sort of like, I'm gonna teach them a lesson." I know. You're kind of yelling at everybody. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, I kind of knew what to expect and then horrible. I was like, "Yep, this is <laughs> exactly this is exactly is what I wanted." <laughs> well, let's play a song, man. You okay. want to? Sure. Sometimes I get musicians in here like like Richard Thompson or Nick Lowe, people like that. And I'm embarrassed about my setup, but like this is like how you recorded half your life. Like <laughs> this, this is this is high tech for me. <laughs> this is great. Open flame. Maybe there 
Yeah. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for Little Beals Court at the end. Little Beals Court at the end. <laughs> you got it, Thurston. <laughs> Good talking to you, man. Thanks a lot. Nice. I like when people play music in front of me. You can get Michael's music and stuff from Titus Andronicus and a lot of other shit. They got good stuff at Merge Records. Oh my God, I'm so fucked up on jet lag. All right, so go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Yeah? You know the deal. I'm too tired to play, but I think I got to play.
lives. Hey, folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 